welcome to this month's episode of the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. I'm Annika, one of your hosts, and I'm a graduate student in Geneva, Switzerland. And I'm Ashley, your other host. I'm a foreign policy practitioner working in Washington, D.C. You're listening to the monthly podcast of the Women in Foreign Policy organization, where each month, Annika and I discuss a different topic related to foreign policy careers and professions. So this month's episode continues our series on professional development. Last month, we kicked it off with an episode about professional development organizations and spoke to a lot of interesting women about the different organizations that they belong to or run. Um, So if you missed that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening. Um, This month, we're going to be talking about mentorship and sponsorship. And in the months ahead, we're going to be covering the transition from school into the work life or professional life, as well as public speaking. Um, But just a heads up, if you have any other ideas or questions about professional development that you'd really love to hear us discuss, feel free to find us and let us know what you want to hear. And now, as usual, before we dive into hearing from the incredible women who work in foreign policy on today's episode, we want to give them a chance to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Annie Freischlag. I am the founder and lead consultant at Primum International Social Impact Consulting. Uh, we're a, a consulting firm um, supporting nonprofits and social enterprises in a bunch of different segments from uh, renewable energy to uh, clean transportation um, and to other areas. I live in Geneva, Switzerland. My name is Leonie Ansems de Vries and I'm a lecturer in international relations at King's College London in the Department of War Studies. I have um, taught here for a couple of years. Before this, I lectured at Queen Mary University of London and at the University of Nottingham in Malaysia. And my research mostly focuses on the issue of migration and refugees, uh, specifically this so-called refugee crisis. And I'm especially interested in the ways in which migration is governed at the moment, but also the ways in which uh, people continue to try and move um, and thinking about ways forward in terms of um, legal avenues for people to move, but also really understanding the lived experiences of migrants. And another part of my research is more conceptual and um, looks into the question of politics. Hi, my name is Marissa Fortune. I'm a graduate student at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies, focusing mostly on peace and conflict studies. And I'm currently an intern at the Geneva Center for the Democratic Control of Armed Forces. We work on security sector reform. Um, My background is mostly in Canadian government work, uh, immigration, citizenship, and refugees. Um, and also a little bit of policy analysis for employment and social development. I'm originally from Montreal and did my undergraduate at McGill University, and now I'm based in Geneva. Hi, my name is Rukhsana Bhaiji. I work for EY, and I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant. I've been at EY for about four years now, and I've been in diversity and inclusion for about seven years. I am also a mum. I have two boys. And this is Annika chiming back in. For those of you who don't know, EY means Ernst and Young. It's a consulting firm. And our last guest, Alexia, we don't have an introduction for, but she is a president of the Young Professionals in Foreign Policy. You'll be hearing from her throughout the show as well. 
So today's episode, we're talking about mentorship and sponsorship. And when I first started diving into this topic and looking for women that we wanted to talk to about it, I didn't have a great conception of what the difference actually was. Frankly, I didn't think there was a difference. I had not, I'm pretty sure, heard the word sponsorship applied to this situation ever before in my entire life. Now, after talking to all of these women, I have kind of a crystal clear idea of the distinction between the two and why you might want to pick different people for different roles. So we asked our experts, what's the difference between a mentor and a sponsor? Why do I need different people for these roles? Who should I be asking? And Vukasana started us off with an excellent answer, I thought. I I think they are very different. Um, so a mentor is someone who acts as a guide, advises, supports, and you're learning from them. Um, a sponsor and sponsorship in its sense is almost like um, the sponsor acts as an advocate. A sponsor opens doors, opens opportunities, and creates a platform to lift you up into that next stage of your career. So sponsorship can be very different and very powerful when it's done well. And sponsorship is something um, specifically at EY, we run sponsorship programs because we recognize that, um, and that there's HBR research that shows this women are women over-mentored and under-sponsored. Now sponsorship, if you know that you need a sponsor and some organizations, people do need sponsorship in order to progress. And if that is something that you need or you feel a sponsor would be beneficial to help accelerate your journey, then if your organization doesn't run a sponsorship program, really think about about your own network. Who is in your network that would make a good sponsor? Who is in your network that could help advocate for you, could open doors and opportunities So when I say advocate, it's the person that's saying really great things about you when you're not in the room to the people that it matters to the most. So you'll probably know based on your needs who that might look like. Alexia also provided some commentary on this particular question. Sure. So I think, you know, there, if you look at the literature, there technically is a line between mentorship and sponsorship. Um, I think ideally you find both in the same person. If not, you go out to different communities. The way I view it is that mentorship, often the mentors view that as a little bit more of a passive role where the mentee comes to them and asks questions. Um, but I think good mentors are really sponsors who are people who will take a proactive um approach the relationship and really push you and actively help you um, try to find jobs, try to find connections, or, you know, really push your career to the next level. So I ideally look for someone who is going to do that. Um, but sometimes you need someone who's just going to give you information. In that case, I, I you know, would go to a, to a mentor if I don't necessarily need someone um, to help me take things to the next level. Of course, not everyone experiences this divide so distinctly. And my former professor, Dr. Leonie Ansoms DeVries, commented that she doesn't really see a difference between mentors and sponsors, and that the same person can serve both purposes at different points in your career. I don't know, actually, if academia is um, unique in this, but of course there is the rule, the, the mentorship rule, and to some extent also the sponsorship rule is very much part of the way in which um, academia is organized uh, so this already starts of course when you um, when you teach or when you are a student and you always have a, sort of a supervisor you've got a personal tutor 
Um, so there are these different kinds of rules already that are, are part of the structure um, of, um, of an academic institution. Um, but at the same time, um, they're also, so I think to some extent that's also how mentorship works. Um, you have, for instance, a personal tutor who then uh, who asks these questions, you ask advice and so on. Um, or if you are doing uh, a PhD, you would have a supervisor who, of course, uh, will advise you on your, um, your PhD, your research project, but also uh, often on other issues. Having said that, I think there are also more informal systems of, uh, of mentorship and um, of, um, of sponsorship. And um, in my in my own experience as as a student and both as a kind of undergraduate, postgraduate, and as a PhD student, um, this is often very much come about um, my people that I might have just talked to and uh, where I felt sort of comfortable, and people then sort of offering me other sorts of advice um, as well. And and in, sometimes that sort of continued over the years, and sometimes that might have been for a specific period. So I'm really glad that we kind of teased out that nuance with the women that we spoke with, because as Ashley and I joked about at the beginning of this episode, I definitely was really confused about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. But regardless, the the next question I think really stands for either, which is just why do I need a mentor? Um, what is the point? What are the benefits? Why, why should somebody who's listening to this podcast want to seek one out? So we ask all of the women and Marissa starts us off. Well, I think there's both. When I think about mentorship, I think there's both. There's different kinds of mentorship and different kinds of mentorship have different benefits. So there's personal mentors who you can learn from um, different life skills, I guess, communication skills or spiritual mentors, personal mentors, just people who you look up to in the way they live their life. And then there's professional mentors who you might not tell about your family issues, but you would seek out career advice. Um, and then there's also peer mentors who are people kind of on the same level as you and you're doing the same thing, but have different areas of expertise so you can learn from each other. So I think when it, when it comes to picking a mentor and what kind of mentor you want, you have to think about what your goals are. Are they personal? Are they professional? And who would be the best kind of person to help you learn what you want to learn? And we heard from Rukasana on this topic as well. So important to have mentors in your life, whether it's for work or for personal reasons, um, because individuals will no doubt have been there before. You know, they've been there, worn a T-shirt, they've, they've been there and done that. So what a mentor does is provide almost like your travel guidebook and the guidance. So they, they help lay out your path, or I call it like a lawn mower they almost clear the way for you they clear the lawn and provide guidance support and really provide that understanding so wise wise words of wisdom depending on what the mentor is for yeah it, it's all too easy to fall into a trap of thinking I'm working really hard I'm keeping my head down I'm my outputs are great and and this is all being recognized well how do we know it is how do, have we have we checked with someone have we asked are we clear on process are we clear on next steps and how they actually happen and how there would be absolutely no harm in nudging that and really understanding the the kind of invisible hurdles and barriers that might be in the way 
And Leonie wanted to talk about why mentors are necessary. But yeah, I think from the perspective of um, being a mentee, I have having, I think it's partly just to support and people just explaining how things work and, 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 and also that all sorts of issues or anxieties or whatever you might have, especially when you're doing a PhD and post PhD, that that is normal, that is part of the process, or that it is not, and that's something to look into, right? And and I think um, I can mostly speak from from academia, not so much outside of that. There is a lot that is not quite clear, or that is just anxiety inducing, and there's there's a lot of pressure on people. So having just that kind of support um, for me has been been very good and very helpful. But in academia, things are not easy for early career scholars. They're they're very tough. There's a lot of like, casualization um, going on, and and an expectation I would say in um, in ways as well. And and there is this gap um, from you know for finishing your PhD and then and and then, and then going on, and that is just a really difficult time. Um, and I know a lot of people are struggling with that. And and I think again there are you know particular um, ways in which that that is you know some people and often people that are already more marginalised, but it's even it's even more difficult. Um, so having this kind of a mentor relationship is really important than that during that time if if you can and it's not always available. Um, but but yes, yeah, try if you can you know find someone that can support you and that can initially just start with peer because peer support is is important as well. Um, but but do um, do try and, and and go up to someone or informally chat with someone uh, who you think you know you could have a good supportive relationship with because I know also from my own personal experience that can really make a difference. Now that we've established that yes, you do need a mentor. This is a really important relationship for you professionally. Definitely go seek out a mentor or sponsor as as you see fit. Who should you be asking? What kinds of people should you be looking at to fill this position in your sort of professional network? What's the best way to approach that person once you've identified them and you've decided, yes, I want that person as my mentor or sponsor? Annie had some words of wisdom for us. Yeah, approaching a mentor, I think, is probably the scariest part of of developing this, but um, I encourage everyone to think about it more like a relationship. versus a a mentorship kind of think about it like building a friendship so within your workplace you can just say hello to people when you're walking in for the day when you're getting water Um, if you're still in academia you know do this with your professors and do this within your internships in my opinion it goes more smoothly if you start small by introducing yourself like you would any other relationship or a friendship like, hi, I'm new here. I'm Annie. I work in X department. Start small like that and then build your network. Learn which colleagues have the skills that you want to develop. This skill is helpful because um, then you can kind of figure out which people slowly have the right skills. Um, I, I found that some of the most valuable skills you can gain from a mentor are not super visible directly. So the approach of just identifying someone that you want to talk to and then going and asking them, it might not always provide you the best outcomes because it, you know you might not be able to find those skills. For example, a more quiet member of the staff might have the skill of developing really strong trust among other colleagues. That skill, the skill of being able 
to have people trust you completely, both personally and professionally. It's a very subtle but incredibly valuable skill. It'll go a long way in your career to to help cultivate that trust. And you're not necessarily going to be able to identify that person in your workplace who has um, you know, that everybody trusts and everybody relies on them, you're, you're not necessarily going to find them purely on first glance. But by slowly learning about people and developing connections and relationships slowly, then you come to know those skills and who has them. And then, you know, if you're starting to make those com conversations and um, connections already, then you just ask them, you know, ask them for a coffee, go out after work and say, hey, I really respect your work. I've noticed that you've cultivated this this sense of trust among other people. And I would find it super valuable if I could learn more about how you've approached your career. Would you be interested in, in mentoring me? Kind of eases that transition a little bit. Alexia also had a lot of expertise in picking a great mentor or sponsor. Sure. I mean, I would say you probably need a couple different mentors, um, you know, some who are going to be that overall person, um, someone who's really in your career path, someone that you want advice from on how to navigate If you know, assuming that's your, they sort of have your similar trajectory or, you know, end position. Um, and then I think it's also really important to network with people who and, and find mentors who are very different than you, um, because I think we often get so much in our lane that we forget that there are other options and other opportunities. Um, so I would say, you know, casting the net far and wide, especially early on um, in your career, um, I think that's that's even more important than later. Um, and so I would say, you know, first, obviously you have to see if the person's willing to mentor you. So you have to actually ask them, uh, it's helpful if you have a really clear, um, uh, perspective on what it is you want from them. Usually mentors want to know what sort of time commitment, uh, you know, concretely what you're asking for. I think sometimes people frame, uh, mentorship questions when what they actually want is a job. And so I would say, you know, a mentor is not there to get you a job. A mentor might be able to help you do that. Um, but really, it's primarily about information and advice. And then you start bridging, you know, into more of like a sponsorship if you're asking for someone to help you get a job. Again, all totally fine things. I think it's just, you know, helpful to be to be clear up front and be realistic about your expectations. Um, and I think people are more willing to mentor if they know exactly what it is that you are asking. Um, so I would say just to recapsulate, um, you know, cast the net far and wide, be very specific. Um, and then lastly, be really respectful of people's time. And, you know, if you've asked them for, you know, an hour a week or, uh, you know, an hour a month, try to stick to that and then be very prompt in your follow up and saying thank you. So now that we know who we should ask to be our mentor, we have some ideas about the best way to approach someone to be our mentor. It's also imperative that we turn around and look at ourselves, right? So not only who should I be asking and how should I be asking them, but what are the types of characteristics that I should cultivate within myself if I want to have a successful mentorship experience? What is it that I can do that can possibly improve that, this experience and also make it really enriching for my mentor, right? We don't want this to just be a one-way a one-way street. So Annie had some particularly uh, brilliant things to say on this topic, and she starts us off. Yeah, I think being a quick learner is always a good payoff. If your mentor feels like your relationship is providing tangible outcomes, then I think it will increase their level of investment in you. So the more you can do to really put your whole energy into what you're learning, it's less a skill. It's more something 
you know, that you can do on a day to day basis, being present, focusing on what you're learning and doing everything that you can to achieve those goals. For example, after a mentoring session, you can go home and journal about what you and your mentor discussed. Um, and then when you meet next, bring mental notes on what did or did not work and why it doesn't necessarily have to be super formal, like, you know, bringing actual notes, but just like, Hey, you know, this, you said this last time, it really sank in with me. And then I tried it in the workplace and actually this was the outcome. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And that shows your mentor that you're really taking their recommendations into account. You're listening and the time that's being invested in you will feel like a stronger payoff for them, which in the long run will increase their investment in you. So less a skill, but more a presence, I think. Alexia also shared some great ideas about characteristics to cultivate. The, the only caveat I would say is that it's important for both people to understand what they want out of it. Um, and then even if you're not actively going back to that person for advice, it's really important to say thank you. And I think, you know, having been on the mentor side much more in recent years, um, it's really nice when mentees reach out and sort of like, just let me know what they've been doing, career successes, you know, marriages, babies, articles published, being on a podcast, what have you, um, just to sort of keep that, that relationship open. I think a lot of people view networking as being very, very transactional. And while functionally it can be, I think it's nice to stay in touch, even if it's not directly related to the reason you initially reached out, if that makes sense. And Leonie also had some things to share. I mean, it can be, it can be different things, but I think one of them is to really think about what it is that you, what is the kind of sort of support and relationship that you're looking for to be quite clear with with yourself what it is that you need um, and what you think that the person your mentor can help you with or, or can give you. Uh, I think that's that's really important. Um, and and also be sort of be clear about sort of what you know what the boundaries are for that and 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 whether that's um, you know more formal or informal relationship. And I think be make sure that you are um, as as much as you can um, if you, for instance, say I will, um, you know, I will, I will, I will send something. If you could look at a paper for me, I will send something. Um, then you know, make sure you you do that, or at least you know keep them informed about the process and what's going on. So, in about being as far as you can, be be reliable um, in um, in that relationship, um, or just at least make sure you communicate if there are any issues and so on. Um, and and I think also show an interest in your mentor and in what your mentor is doing, right? So, I mean, you can have uh, that fantastic also mentor-mentee relationships whereby actually in some ways it was it was two-way. Of course, there was, there was in a way, a clear relationship where one is more supervising and the other one is, um, you know, is, kind of, um, is, is drawing on that. But at the same time, because we're in academia, we're, we're dealing with ideas, um, you know, that would just be really interesting also to, to offer, like, you know, I can... Do you want me to whatever read a draft of your paper, whatever, right? Um, or think right, maybe maybe we can organise a panel at a workshop or something like that, right? So I think there are possibilities to also um, create something different than than just that mentor mentee relationship, um, kind of as as a one way street. Yeah, I really think that what this answer kind of boils down to at least in in large part is just that you need to treat the person that you're establishing this relationship with like a real person 
not just someone you can use to further your career, but someone who has feelings and has time that they're trying to manage and an inbox that's overflowing just like yours. And in that vein, we talked about some common mistakes these women had witnessed in and around mentorship relationships. And a lot of them, I have to admit, could have been circumvented by just considering your mentor or sponsor as though they were a real living, breathing human being with feelings just like you. Leonie started us off with some great commentary on avoiding these particular common mistakes. Um, so as a mentee, I think it's... Um perhaps becoming overly reliable or expecting too much. And I mean, this is just something that you need to, to you know, have a conversation about. And it also depends on how formal, how informal it is. I think that's, um, that's really important to, uh, to establish that. Um, but equally also, um, to make sure that if this is a relationship that you have been cultivating over a while, then um, also, don't just abandon that. You know, when you when things go well and you have success and you've got your dream job, um, don't just walk away from your mentor, right? Um, but then, um, because again, that's a great moment to then also give back and 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 cultivate a different kind of relationship. Um, and as a mentor, um, I think one one of the things, and this is something I personally need to. Uh, be very careful about is to make sure you have sufficient time to support people because in academia I mean there are always of course there's never enough time but we're under a lot of pressure and we have a lot of work and I think it's really important to support people but only do so if you're actually able to um, if you don't really have the time um, then it might be better to think of maybe someone else who might be able to support them and actually give the proper support um, because otherwise, again, it, it, you know, you, you won't be able to cultivate a good relationship and, and, and properly support someone if you don't actually have the time to do so. Um, and this is something that I that I find difficult that I need to be clear about for myself, like how many people can I support um, in, and, and do it well. Marissa had some excellent tips for avoiding common mentorship mistakes. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind immediately is asking for a job. <laughs> don't ask your mentor for a job. I just think that makes it awkward. Um, some mentors, so I have a mentor who's super into networking and will always put me in touch with a million people that she thinks I could get along with. She's constantly thinking about opportunities. She's constantly thinking about jobs, etc. But it's not the kind of relationship where she would offer me a job. And that's not the kind of relationship I want. I think if you're looking, if you're looking to get a job immediately, mentorship is not how that's going to happen. Mentorship is a long game, if that makes sense. It's not a, okay, I got a mentor and they gave me an internship. It's, okay, I got a mentor. They gave me some really great advice. Three years down the line, they invited me to an event where I met this person who invited me to apply for this job, which I didn't get, but I did meet someone else who helped me to get the job I have today. That's the kind of thing that, that's the way that mentorship in reality helps you, your career. And I mean, not, but I think if you're looking for a job, if you're looking to get something concrete immediately out of mentorship, that's just not going to happen. It's not really realistic. And it's also not the kind of, Thing that mentorship is good for. I think what mentorship is best for is learning 
soft skills of conversation, networking, just getting advice, being able to converse about your field, talk like in an adult way about issues with someone who knows more than you and get their input um, to get advice. It's not the kind of thing where you go have coffee with someone once and ask them to give you a job, at least not in the field of international security, which I think is where most of the listeners would be interested in. I think not having clear goals would be not a mistake, but I think you wouldn't be getting the most out of your experience. And I, of course, if one of your goals is get a job, that might not be the best goal. But to say, I want to establish a relationship with someone who I can go to for advice, or I want to work on my communication skills, I want to work on my networking skills, I want to expand my knowledge of this specific area within international relations or this specific area within foreign policy. Um, Having goals like that, then that allows you to, when you meet with your mentor, to be able to ask specific questions. Because if you're not curious and you don't have questions to ask, you can't expect your mentor to take you by the hand and be like, let me show you this entire world that you didn't know existed. Like you have to be the one to put in the work and say, this is what I want to know about. What can you tell me about it? I think this is honestly such an important question. And I'm really glad that we were able to hear so much wisdom from these women on the topic. I think the one thing that I'll add is, I think a big mistake that we often make in a lot of areas of our life is just not saying thank you, is just not being grateful and communicating it. People are taking time out of their very busy lives to share advice with you, to um, help you on in your career and in your journey. And the least that we can do is to say thank you. So if there's one thing that you take away from this episode, it is remember to communicate your gratitude to the incredible people who are sharing their time and talent with you. Some of you might be listening and, and saying, okay, this is all great and interesting. How, um, how do I get a mentor? What should I do? What should I not do, etc.? But what if I want to become a mentor to somebody? What if I have time and talent that I want somebody to thank me for? How do I become a mentor to someone? And we asked the women as well. Annie had some great things to share about mentorship. I, I am a mentor. And again, I think, I think it comes pretty naturally if you're seeking genuine connection in the workplace um, for someone to become a mentor for other people. In my former job, I, I usually had two to three interns at a time, about 20 in total over the course of that job, who reported to me. Um, and they've actually become some of my best friends. They are the people who, um, who I hang out with on the weekends, who I go on road trips with. Um, but I worked really hard as soon as I was at the level of management to treat people who reported to me as equals. So I never used titles of superiority. I always introduced them as my colleagues and not my interns and had other measures to ensure that they felt empowered as my equals. Um, and then to take it further, like going out after work for drinks and things like that, we became natural friends and someone who they could come to for professional advice much more naturally. Um, I shared my stories of struggles in the workplace and and they were able to share theirs. And I still write letters of recommendation. I help do practice job interviews, give professional advice, really whatever I can do to help them succeed because I'm invested in their future. They not only worked with me, but they became people that I respect and they they respect me. So very mutual, genuine connections. 
Marissa also had thoughts about the process of becoming a mentor. Okay, so I haven't, honestly, when it comes to mentoring at where I am in my life, I think of my role as a mentor more as an attitude than a formal relationship. So I'm not a formal mentor, but I think there's a lot of informal mentorship opportunities. And it's more a kind of pay it forward attitude because so many people helped me get to where I am. So I'm at a place where I'm constantly looking for ways to lift other people up and help other people in the way that I've been helped. So I guess it's more of an openness to being a mentor and not being necessarily a formal mentor, but I'm always open to if people want to ask me questions or I have so many younger students that I know from my undergrad who are now, who are now applying to grad school and they're asking me questions about grad applications. They're asking me questions about how do I ask this professor for a reference? And of course, I'm not their mentor, but I'm going to help them out, you know, and that's also kind of a part of mentorship. And that's the thing, too. So specifically for women in foreign policy and women in security studies, it's so important to support other women and give them opportunities because it's such a male dominated industry. And so I see mentorship as such a concrete way of being of having solidarity in this space and creating space for other women within our field. Um, and so I love that about mentorship. And finally, Rukasana had some great thoughts to share about this topic, including a really interesting conversation about the concept of reverse mentoring. So there are a number of ways to become a mentor, and that might be through um, formal mentoring schemes, a number of organizations, um, women's groups, as well as um, groups in organizations. There'll be opportunities to become a mentor. Um, there are also other schemes externally, so another group that I'm part of specifically um, to tackle the kind of triple penalty that Muslim women face is Muslim Women Connect. And it's a group specifically to connect professional Muslim women with each other in order to um, counteract the triple penalty of being a woman who's probably from an ethnic minority and a Muslim and it's a really great forum to, as a mentor for me to support young professional women who I can help to build their confidence, aspirations and goals, um, help them develop their goals. So there, there are a number of different ways and it may happen organically as well. You may be in an existing relationship where it's a friendship where you know that you, if you have strengths yourself, that you could provide a good mentoring um, relationship, then that might be something that happens organically as well if you don't actively look for a formal scheme. I think with um, an intersectional hat on and in, as an intersectional feminist hat, um, it is, yeah, I think different groups potentially have different needs. So that's where mentoring from a specific group may be of benefit to individuals. So it really yeah, depends on your own needs and that might be navigating an organization or navigating um, a disadvantage or being from an ethnic minority. There are so many benefits to being a mentor as well as being on the receiving end of mentorship and of, of being a sponsor as well. It's a really great um, learning experience for mentors and there's so, there's so much value in learning from your mentees and 
the mentor always ends up learning as much as the individual that's being mentored, I would say. The other, the other thing that's really um, becoming popular and is really very effective and impactful is reverse mentoring. So reverse mentoring is where it's almost a, the, the younger person or the less experienced person you would think in a relationship is mentoring somebody more senior in their organization. And that provides an opportunity um, to share lived experience, to raise the more senior person's awareness and helps them to almost walk in someone else's shoes. And so if we're talking about women, we had a reverse mentoring scheme here at EY where we had a number of women mentoring senior leaders um, to share their lived experience of what it felt like to be a woman at EY at a particular level. And we've since done it, um, a reverse mentoring program and opened opened it up to women as well as ethnic minorities, as well as LGBT individuals and people with a disability. So it's it's something that's gaining traction externally as well. In the UK, it was something that was recommended in Ruby McGregor-Smith's report on ethnicity to help leaders understand the lived experience of being an ethnic minority in the workplace. So I think reverse mentoring, it's also something actually one of our leaders used um, reverse mentoring relationship to understand how to use social media because it was something they didn't. So it could be something that people use to share skills, to stay ahead of the game. So it could be used for a number of reasons. So you've decided, yes, I definitely need a mentor. Oh my gosh, all of this advice is so helpful. I'm convinced. Let me go out and find someone right now. And you know what characteristics you're looking for. You know that they should be two to three levels above you in, uh, you know, in their professional life. But then you stop because maybe you're a woman of color or maybe you're disabled or maybe you belong to a certain religious or ethnic group and you're thinking, wow, is it more useful for me to go out and find someone who looks like me to mentor me, to sponsor me, or should I just accept any old white guy because they're going to have the kind of connections that I do need? And that's a difficult question. And I don't think anyone can give you a 100% cut and dried answer, but the women we spoke to really tried to address the different dimensions of that question. And I think they did it in a really thoughtful and interesting way. Alexia gave some advice on looking for someone who looks like you versus someone who can do the things you need them to do. A lot of people have this sort of antiquated view of, of mentorship, that the, the mentor has to be older. And that's also definitely not the case in my experience. I think you can see a lot of peer mentorship, people who have had different life experiences, who are in different sectors. You can learn just as much from them and, and sometimes a lot more because if you go for, you know, sort of the older, theoretically wiser person, it may have been so long since they've had to maneuver the same space that you're in that their advice may actually not be that relevant to you. Um, so finding somebody who's a classmate or even someone who's younger than you are to mentor you. I've had, you know, so many um, current interns and previous interns and, and colleagues who've been able to help um, with things like marketing, social media, IT, um, you know, but even some of them have had different experiences culturally in different parts of the world. And they've provided incredibly helpful information to me. So um, I think it's important to sort of look up, down and all around when you look for your mentors. Annie also had some thoughts she wanted to share. 
Yeah, in one way, I think someone who's similar to you will likely have experienced some of the same troubles that you are experiencing or will experience throughout your career. So in that way, it can make you feel more confident in navigating some of those particular difficulties to have someone who is a bit more like you. Um, For example, one thing that I've experienced as a woman in the workplace is uh, quote unquote mansplaining. (laughs) So I've been in meetings where I'll have an idea and start to explain something. And then a man who just by biology has a louder voice (laughs) and may be more confident will interrupt me and then, or, you know, maybe even let me finish, but then say the same idea in a slightly different way. Um, And this is pretty common in the workplace still, unfortunately. Um, So what a female mentor can do is speak up in those meetings. And after you are mansplained, um, they can say something like, actually, I think Annie was saying the same thing. Or if you're interrupted, um, they can interrupt the interrupter (laughs) and say something like, hold on for just a minute. I would really like to hear what Annie has to say and kind of direct the the focus back to you. And what's cool about this is, um, is then we can actually play that same role for our female mentors, because even though they're older than us, probably, um, they are likely experiencing the same things still. These are perpetual issues. They're unfortunately not like maybe little by little are going away, but they still exist. So that's an example of where you can be reciprocal in your mentorship and provide that, um, that back and forth. So in that way, I think finding somebody who shares your struggles is, is beneficial. But on the other side, um, using the same example, only by working with people who have experienced I I guess if we're only working with people who've experienced what we've experienced, then we're never going to deconstruct the problems themselves. So having mentors that are the exact opposite of me, I can learn about their frame of reference, what moves them professionally, what moves them personally. And by understanding that, then I can more effectively have discussions about how to change the problems that arise for people like me. Um, I can, I can share my experience with that person, you know, um, so developing friendships with, for, for example, with a successful male professional, maybe the loudest one in the room, <laughs> I can share my experience in a very vulnerable way while seeking their solutions. And then that kind of vulnerability, that friendship dynamic um, brings a quite intuitive investment in, in the mentee's future. So it may have an impact on their professional demeanor as well. You know, if I'm able to talk about mansplaining to the loudest person in the room in that vulnerable way, then it kind of shocks them like, ah, yeah, maybe I don't have to call them out on it, but, but it could, you know, help to deconstruct that problem. And then they can transition that to other mansplainers. Finally, Rukasana shared an answer to this question as well. I think this one really comes down to to personal preference. Um, so some some women may prefer a woman, somebody that they can um, look at and say, see, you know, at senior level, she's um, managed work-life balance, she has children, so I can relate to her. Um, or actually, you might see somebody, and in fact, one of my mentors is, is male, and he's um, a white male, and I'm a woman of color, um, of visible faith. So in terms of you would think there's not much commonalities, but I really identify with the individual's values, their purpose. And so I asked the white the white male to be a mentor. 
um, but I have other mentors as well who who are who are different. So there, there's a, a white female, um, but also a woman of colour. So I think it, it really is personal preference. So when you're thinking about who you want to be your mentor, quite often people, you may have heard, heard the saying, you can't be what you can't see. So when people look to the tops of organisations and they can't see role models or mentors that look like them, it can be a turnoff. And the real way to counter that, I always think, is to think about, well, what are individuals' values and what's their purpose and what will what will they bring to this relationship if we were to create a new relationship? This episode has been really interesting for me. I think that I've had a lot of mentorship type relationships that I didn't necessarily know were mentorship. And that's been so. And so hearing so many stories and reactions about different women at different stages in their career of different ages and different fields, et cetera, around mentorship has just been very kind of affirming. I think we definitely don't have to have one type of mentorship experience, but knowing that we as women, particularly in the foreign policy field, are here to support one another. And and that's really one of the greatest gifts that we can give to one another. This field is so outweighed by male voices. And the more that we can engage both as mentors and as mentees with other women, that only strengthens our collective capacity to make a difference and to improve the world. So I really hope that this episode has inspired you. I know that it really has inspired Ashley and I. Wow. I... I have to admit that before we started working on this episode, this was not a priority of mine. And I probably have been guilty to maybe a lesser extent of some of the mistakes we talked about in terms of fostering these relationships, in terms of like perhaps not showing as much gratitude or as much value for other people's time as, as might, as might be ideal. And I think that one of the things that maybe doesn't come through as often as as it happens is that Annika and I learn from this experience as well. And we are learning so much from getting to talk to these women and getting to have these exchanges with them and pick their brains and ask them all of our burning questions because I consider myself an early career professional still. And I think Annika is in much the same boat. So having the opportunity to to be the voices of young women in this field is so valuable for us personally, but it's also an enormous privilege that I am deeply grateful for. We want to know what you think about this as well. And we really want to, maybe more so than usual, engage in this as a conversation. So please, please come talk to us on the internet. We will be back at the end of February with our next episode um, on networking and sort of developing those kind of professional relationships. And it's also going to be part of this professional development series. We would love to hear any questions you have about networking, any concerns you've experienced, any like networking horror stories, all of this, please send it to me. We're on Twitter. We have email addresses. Um, We would love to hear from you. In the meantime, we are on Twitter at Women in FP. The organization is on Instagram and Annika and I are both personally on Instagram. My personal Twitter is at Vaguely Academic and that's my Instagram handle as well. Yep. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at at Annika E-P, A-N-N-I-K-A-E-P. And we'd love to hear from you, as we've mentioned. Um, But also, if you like the work that we're doing, please subscribe. Please share this with your friends. Share this with the other women in your office. Uh, Like I was saying earlier, this really spreads when it becomes a movement. So share and 
finally, if you really like the work we're doing, please consider supporting us via PayPal. Um, that's lmgoulet, L-M-G-O-U-L-E-T, or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We're so grateful to have the opportunity to do this work, and it's really only from support from listeners like you that we get to continue. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all of your support and your lovely emails that people have been sending. We do really appreciate it. It's super motivational and we value your time so much. So we're grateful that you choose to spend it listening to us and listening to content that we've put together. We will see you guys all next month. And please don't forget to share this episode if you if you are so moved. See you later. Bye.